0: are listening to Half Court Hustle, the podcast dedicated to bringing you top-tier basketball analysis. I'm David Odejai and before we get into it this week, uh, Half Court Hustle is now on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me on the handle at Half Court Hustle. Last week we took a whistle-stop tour around the biggest free agency signings in the NBA. Today, we're going to switch up a little bit and take a deeper dive at the Houston Rockets and Los Angeles Lakers, who made two of the biggest trades this year, which could tip the balance of power in the Western Conference. Could these be the moves that put these two teams over the edge? Let's find out. Okay, so let's start with Los Angeles. They traded for Anthony Davis. They gave up quite a bit in order to acquire him as well. The Lakers gave up three promising young players in Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram and Josh Hart. They also gave up this year's number four pick, which turned into DeAndre Hunter. And I analysed Hunter in episode two of the podcast on the NBA Draft, so go check it out. Um, In addition to the number four pick, they gave up um, pretty much all of their draft picks for the next uh, five or six years. And the return for all of that is uh, Anthony Davis. Now, remember that the draft works by giving bad teams a chance to select young, potentially superstar talent in the future. So what you do by giving your draft picks away You're essentially mortgaging tomorrow in order for a chance to win today. This doesn't always work out very well. If you look back to 2013, uh, the Brooklyn Nets traded famously for Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett who were on the very back ends of their career. And in the process, they gave away all of their draft picks. Now, if that doesn't work and your team is still bad... Not only are you, well, a bad team who's not winning games, but you've also given away the opportunity to make your team better by acquiring the best college players in subsequent years. So if you're a bad team and you have no draft picks, Lord help you. The Lakers are in a very different situation though because of number one, they have a limited window to take advantage of LeBron James's remaining productive years. Now, you've got to remember that although this guy, when it's all said and done, arguably the greatest of all time, he's 35 years old and in terms of being a star player who can have a maximum impact role on a championship winning team, he's got three, four years max of being a top tier player. So getting somebody in Anthony Davis, 26 years old, proven all-star talent, high impact player, that's a good return for those assets. So let's start with the impact that Anthony Davis is likely to have on the team. Now for those of you who don't know much about Anthony Davis, this guy is nothing short of a unicorn. He's a six foot ten power forward slash center although he prefers to play the power forward role. Um, But the thing that makes him really special is the fact that he is almost seven foot tall, but handles the ball like a point guard. And when he was about 15 years old, he was only six foot two, and he was looking to to be a point guard. So the guy was training to be a point guard. He was going to go to college as a point guard as well, but he had this insane growth spurt and went from six foot two to like six foot 10 in in about four years. So when you add to his point guard dribbling ability, uh, his lanky frame and his athleticism, you have a player that is very difficult to stop from driving to the basket. In addition to that, he's a very skilled post player and he's able to make hook shots and difficult turnaround jumpers. Uh, That means he's quite dominant from the post area He's not a certified threat from the three-point line, but if you leave him open, he'll be able to hit them. And for somebody who plays the sort of centre power forward position, he's able to drag out shot blockers who have to go and guard him on the perimeter or else he'll just make open shots he is too big really for perimeter players to effectively guard him but he's also too quick for most of the bigger men in the league to guard him effectively as well. So what you're looking at is a walking mismatch and all of this is before you add in the fact that he's got game-changing defensive ability. He's led the league in blocks in three different seasons and he averages about two blocks a game. Where Anthony Davis is going to be the most deadly on offense is being the role man with LeBron James as the ball handler in a pick and roll situation. So Anthony Davis comes up and he sets a screen for LeBron. The guy who's guarding AD now has to make a decision. Let's say the person who is defending Anthony Davis sags back and tries to contain LeBron and stop him from driving to the hoop. Well, that allows Anthony Davis to just pop out to the three-point line and, and take a shot. If the big man who's guarding Davis comes forward and tries to uh, trap LeBron with a double team, you got to remember that LeBron is a pretty, well, he's a precision passer. And Anthony Davis has really good hands. He's great at catching the ball in most situations. So LeBron can either escape the double team, make a short little bounce pass to, to AD, or just pass out of the double team, Anthony Davis can roll to the basket for an open dunk. Or, if he has a help defender who's come from the weak side to meet him before he gets to the basket, Anthony Davis can pass it out to an open shooter who can then shoot the three. Now, last season, LeBron was running this action with JaVale McGee. And although JaVale is able to finish... He's able to catch those alley-oops. He's able to catch those lob passes. Anthony Davis is an upgrade in almost every way. And the thing about LeBron James is, with all of his physical gifts, with his ability to just bully his way to the the rim like the defender's not there, his supreme speed and strength, it's easy to forget that the guy is a masterful passer. It's, It's honestly, you know, it's like if somebody took Steve Nash and put him in that super soldier machine in the Captain America movie, like, like that's LeBron James. So when you have a player like that running a pick and roll situation with Anthony Davis, rah, that 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 combination is going to be a serious problem for opposing teams. The other big difference is the fact that the Lakers, in addition to Anthony Davis, have a lot more perimeter shooting talent than they did last season. They acquired Danny Green, which, in my opinion, is one of the more underrated moves of the free agency. And they also picked up Jared Dudley as well. Dudley is a veteran player, very capable three-point shooter. And he's got that kind of scrappy, hard-nosed, like play-hard hustle mentality. Danny Green, on the other hand, is a sniper from three-point range. He's shot just under 46% from the three-point line, which is staggering and good for second in the entire NBA in terms of percentage of three shots made. Now, he did struggle in the playoffs this year. He, he struggled quite a lot actually in the early rounds with Toronto. He had some decent moments in the finals, but overall wasn't that convincing in the playoffs. But to be honest, he's still deadly from long range. And when you add that to the fact that he's a really good defender, you have one of the better role players in the NBA. The Lakers last season just did not have the ability to space the floor very well. Lonzo Ball famously struggled shooting from the three-point line. And even the Laker players, who are usually three-point marksmen, such as Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Josh Hart, and even LeBron James himself, Even those guys had below average shooting performances last year and so that should improve given the addition of the new shooting talent. Now the Lakers head coach, the new Lakers head coach Frank Vogel uh, came out to Sports Illustrated in an interview and said that he wanted the Lakers to focus a bit more on spacing and run a model that looks a little bit similar to what the Bucks were running with Giannis Antetokounmpo in Milwaukee. Last year, Giannis was basically just surrounded by three-point three point shooters, including Brook Lopez, who was uh, the Bucks center, who was a pretty good three-point shooter himself. In terms of adding big men who can shoot the three this year, the Lakers have Anthony Davis, of course. Who can shoot the three but could improve his pick and pop shooting. His percentages uh, in that situation haven't always been stellar. They've also added DeMarcus Cousins who in recent years has proved that he's able to shoot the three from at least the league average which is really useful to have in a center who's able to just pop out to the three-point line and place a lot of pressure on the interior defense. With the addition of these guys That should mean that Vogel is able to surround LeBron with three or four marksmen a lot more often. Speaking of DeMarcus Cousins, he's going to be an unknown quantity next season. He's going to be a bit of an X-factor. He showed a lot of promise during his one year at Golden State. And it's a real shame that he went down with a quad injury just as things were starting to click during the playoffs last season. That was a shame. He did come back during the finals against Toronto. Obviously, coming off the back of an injury that quickly, he wasn't in the best of shape and couldn't play extended minutes. But in the little bit of playing time that he did have, he was productive off the bench and, and, and put up a good showing. He wasn't good defensively, but you've got to think that with a little bit more playing time under his belt, the chance to practice and rehab the injury properly, hopefully next year he'll be able to tighten that up a little bit. The interesting thing about Cousins is it didn't seem like the rest of the league were that convinced about his upside. Um, ESPN insider Adrian Wojnarowski reported that there wasn't really a market for boogie outside of LA and when you look at the deal he got this season the Lakers are going to be paying him three and a half million dollars which is a lot lower than what Golden State were paying him last year I believe Golden State were paying him somewhere in the region of five or six million dollars That is very cheap for a guy who, just a couple of years ago, before his unfortunate Achilles tear, was on track to earn a max contract. I think uh, Boogie will definitely be hungry next year. And if he can stay healthy, we might see some flashes of that Anthony Davis-Demarcus Cousins pairing, which was so dominant in New Orleans before Boogie went down with that Achilles injury. But the problem with guys that are his size, when your body has gone through so much wear and tear, it's difficult to see him being able to stay healthy for long enough to allow him to be on the floor for most of the season. But he's such a talented player that I, I hope I'm wrong and I hope that we get to see a lot more of him on the floor. So what's my overall conclusion for the Lakers? Well. There are a lot of moving parts. There are a lot of new faces that head coach Frank Vogel will have to uh, piece together and make mesh with each other. But even with all of that, I've got to see the Lakers as challenging for a one or two seed out in the Western Conference. The floor is going to open up significantly with all of the new shooting talent that they've added. And... LeBron James should have a lighter load when it comes to scoring with the addition of Anthony Davis. That's really important given LeBron's age. Uh, I think last season showed that even though he is still A1, I don't think he's going to be able to carry the team on his back for as much of the season as he used to in his his days in, in Cleveland. I think those days unfortunately are coming to an end so it's going to be important that he has other people on the floor who are able to put some points on the board and take the pressure off him and look people have been saying this for a number of years when are we going to see LeBron decline physically it hasn't really happened yet but father time is undefeated and at 35 the the clock is ticking Even outside of the top two guys, the Lakers have uh, improved. They've added Avery Bradley, who is a tenacious defender and will be a boost to LA on that side of the floor. They still have Kyle Kuzma, who I'm hoping will take another step forward this year and be even more of an offensive threat. So I'm liking the Lakers' uh, depth chart for now. They've got some good pieces. So the bookmakers have the Lakers winning 51 games this year, which will probably be good for about fourth or fifth seed in the West. I think that's underselling them slightly. Like if I had to put money on it, I'd bet on them winning more than 51 games this year. But we'll see. We'll see how well the pieces mesh together. And we'll see just how much LeBron is able to do this year. He hasn't played in the playoffs for the first time in not the first time in his career, but the first time in Lord knows how long. So him getting that extra two months of rest will be important as well. So we'll see what happens. Right, so moving on to the Houston Rockets and Russell Westbrook reuniting with former teammate James Harden. Last week, we touched on the fact that Paul George made the jump from Oklahoma City to the Clippers in what was the single most shocking move of the offseason. Nobody expected that to happen. Not too long after the move, unsurprisingly, it was reported that Westbrook wanted out of Oklahoma. Given the loss of Paul George and the obvious need to rebuild a roster which has lost in the first round for three years in a row, It was only a matter of time before uh, general manager Sam Presti decided to start making calls and field Westbrook for a trade. In the process, Houston offloaded Chris Paul, whose relationship with James Harden had reportedly taken a turn for the worse and had deteriorated to the point of no return. In addition, the fact that Chris Paul is getting up there in terms of age and is not the athlete he used to be meant that Houston had to make a move. So the details of the trade, essentially Houston receive Russell Westbrook in return for giving Oklahoma City, Chris Paul and a collection of draft picks on top of that. And that's interesting as well because when you look at the size of Chris Paul's contract, he's going to be earning a hell of a lot of money in the next few years. And in that time, he's probably going to decline physically as well. So the fact that Oklahoma City asked for a whole bunch of draft picks in addition to Chris Paul tells you something about that contract. So... Let's take a look at Russell Westbrook. Now, Russell Westbrook is the marmite of the NBA. You either love this guy or you hate this guy. But the one thing that is undeniable is that he is an impactful player. He plays at 100 miles an hour. He plays every single possession as hard as he can. And he seems to do it for pretty much every game of the season. Russell Westbrook is an elite playmaker with fantastic passing ability, although his decision-making can be questionable at times and he can force the issue in cases which leads to some turnovers. And for people who have followed the Oklahoma City Thunder um, you know, ever since the Kevin Durant days... Uh, one of the biggest criticisms people made of Russell Westbrook was just the fact that he didn't take very good decisions. So there would be a fast break. You would have players open. Russell Westbrook would bomb down the lane and pull up for a three-pointer or pull up for a contested two, where if you just slowed down for a second and saw somebody streaking to, to the corner who was open, that would have been a more efficient play. He's the most athletically gifted player, not lamed LeBron James. And he gets a lot of his points just by being faster and jumping higher than everybody else on the floor. He's unpredictable in the open floor and he can ruin a lot of defensive just with his straight line drives. Um, But he's also got really good handles and he has some crafty uh, dribble moves which throw defenders off balance and he can get points that way as well. Ever since the departure of Kevin Durant in 2016, Westbrook has had some pretty high usage rates. He's a a very ball-dominant player. And that is troubling when you add the fact that this year, in the 2018-2019 season, Russell Westbrook has had one of the worst shooting performances well in league history, really. Uh, He's a very high-volume shooter. He shoots a lot. And his percentages in terms of the amount of shots that he makes, not very good. He shot 43% last season from the field, including a pretty bad 29% from three. And the biggest criticism that people make of Russ is that he's led Oklahoma City to lose in the first round of the playoffs for three straight years. And his critics will point to the fact that he's very ball dominant, the fact that he shoots poorly, and the fact that his decision-making can be a bit... Mm, at times. And they'll point to those things and say, that's what is holding his team back. And look, while all of these are valid points, the fact of the matter is that he is pure athleticism, his inhuman levels of energy... And his great passing ability has made the Thunder a lot better than really they should have been uh, since the departure of Kevin Durant in 2016. He's a top player in this league and there's just no getting around that. So the million dollar question, how will Russell Westbrook fit with the Houston Rockets? So let's start with an examination of Houston. Houston, with James Harden at the helm, have been one of the best offensive teams ever. Most of this stems from Harden's efficiency. Harden's usage rate is the highest in the league by a very wide margin. And he has a lot of isolation possessions where it's just him with the ball, with the four other players... At the three-point line, maybe Clint Capella will be sort of close to the basket and it's just James Harden versus the world. Last season, James Harden averaged 16 isolation possessions a game. That is insanity. For reference, that is six more possessions than the second-ranked team in the NBA last season. That team, of course, being the Oklahoma City Thunder, um, but yeah, one player had more isolation possessions per game than the second most ISO heavy team in the NBA. Like, let that sink in. That is how ball dominant James Harden is. The ball does not leave this man's hands. That said, Harden also scored 1.1 points per possession on those isolations, which was the single best average in the entire league. And at this point, you're like, David, why are you throwing all of these advanced metrics at me? Like, why are you throwing all of these statistics at me? Look, the point I'm trying to make is this. James Harden always has the ball in his hands, and he is better with the ball in his hands than any other basketball player alive. So when you take that recipe and you add in Russell Westbrook, who is also very ball dominant, well, look, something has to give here. Does that mean that I think this experiment is doomed to failure? No, not quite, not quite. So let's take a look at Houston, for example, running the pick and roll. Uh, When you have James Harden running a pick and roll, He's really deadly because, as we've just established, he's one of the best isolation players in the league. So how do you defend a Houston pick-and-roll? Well, you can just switch a defender whenever the screen comes, but then if you switch a big man onto James Harden, he'll just dance his way to the basket. Do you double-team him? Do you hedge and have the the big man just come and and, and, and try and trap Harden? Well, he's able to pass out of double-teams, and Houston are built on the fact that they have uh, good three-point shooters surrounding James Harden pretty much any time he's on the floor. So that makes it really difficult for defenders to really help whoever's guarding Harden. As a defender, do you go under the screen? Well, then Harden will just step back and shoot a three-pointer in your face. So you take Harden running on the pick-and-roll... You add Chris Paul to that mix and you basically have an extra pick and roll threat. Now, at the time when Chris Paul was traded to the Houston Rockets, we were asking many of the same questions that people are asking today. How are you going to take James Harden, who is Super Bowl dominant, really efficient, but really doesn't do much other than isolate? How do you then add in Chris Paul, who also really needs the ball in his hands and is one of the best point guards in the league? Well, essentially, you just take turns isolating. That seemed to be the recipe for Houston. Um, But yeah, Chris Paul is also like a pick-and-roll threat because he is one of the best passers of all time. Um, If you have a big man that tries to sort of close on him, then he can just throw an alley-oop lob to Capella, and that happened a lot last season. If the shot blocker, if the big man backs off him in order to sort of contain Chris Paul and stop him from getting to the basket or bump down on Capella to stop him from catching the lob, then Chris Paul would just shoot from mid-range. And he was money from mid-range. He has like a very efficient uh, mid-range jump shot. But when you take Chris Paul and replace him with Westbrook, there's a little bit of a problem because Chris Paul is able to slow the game down, read the floor, and make the right decision every single time. He is one of the best point guards in that respect. Now, Westbrook is less surgeon and more bulldozer. What he has in terms of sheer force of will, he lacks in terms of split second decision making. That said, Russell Westbrook is still an elite playmaker and he is at a very different point in his career than Chris Paul. Now, There is potential for the addition of Westbrook to be a net positive for Houston. Why do I think that? So Chris Paul at this point in his career, as I've indicated, is he's at the back end of his career and athletically he isn't what he used to be. He can't beat players off the dribble like he used to and that makes him easier to defend. It makes him a bit more predictable. Westbrook, for all his flaws, is a stick of dynamite and is a huge upgrade in terms of his athleticism. His playmaking ability is fantastic. And to be honest, I think he fits quite well in a Mike D'Antoni type system where you just give the point guard the ball, surround him with shooters, and let him drive and kick. Westbrook beats his man. The defence collapses because he's so quick and draws so much attention. The defence collapses, tries to stop him from scoring the basket. Westbrook just kicks it out to an open shooter. Money. Houston, obviously have some very capable three-point marksmen. When you think about Eric Gordon, PJ Tucker, they've got some guys who can shoot the three quite well. And that is something which Westbrook didn't have in Oklahoma City. And that could go some way to explaining some of his poor offensive efficiency. Like, it's a lot harder to be an efficient point guard when you drive... The, uh, the lane and you pass to for example Andre Roberson who you know just wasn't very good at shooting the ball. So the key sticking point, the the one thing which in all of this is going to be a difficulty for the Houston Rockets to address is the fact that Westbrook is very poor off the ball because he doesn't play that much off the ball. He As I've said a number of times he needs to have the ball in his hands And in addition to this, he's just not a good shooter. Like He's not very good from the three-point line. He's not great from the, the perimeter. So having James Harden run his usual isolation game with Westbrook off the ball is a complete waste of Westbrook's talents. So the ideal situation is you would have Russell Westbrook running, really running point guard with the ball in his hands, initiating the offense. And having Harden play off the ball as a three-point shooter. Now, Harden can at least make his three-point shots. He's not very good off the ball either, but it would be an improvement to having Westbrook play off the ball. Uh, Whether that is an adjustment which Harden will want to make? Probably not. In fact, probably, definitely not. Um, That would be a massive adjustment for Harden to make. It wasn't one he made when Chris Paul joined Houston. And so whether he'd be willing to take, you know, a bit more off-ball responsibility and cede some of that control to Russell Westbrook, doubtful, doubtful. So look, what's the bottom line here? Statistically speaking, James Harden has been, this season at least, the best isolation player that the league has ever seen. The Rockets' entire system is built on the premise of putting the ball in that man's hand and getting everybody else to stand in the corner and wait for a pass so that they can shoot a three. And it's difficult to see how Westbrook can fit into a lineup where that is the chief mode of operating. Does that mean that Russell Westbrook is going to be of no use? No, of course not. If you put the ball in Russ's hands, his combination of athleticism and dynamism will mean that he's going to be able to create shots for other players in the offense. But the real question is whether Houston is going to want to take the ball out of James Harden's hands. Now, we know Houston is filled with coaching staff. We're very into statistics and analytics and the most efficient shot possible. And so when you have on your team the most efficient scorer, sorry, one of the most efficient scorers that the game has ever seen, it's a lot to ask of them to take the ball out of that guy's hands. So look, this is going to go one of either two ways. I think Houston will figure it out and destroy the Western Conference. Or this whole thing is going to collapse in acrimony. Like it's going to be one of those two things. Um, The bookmakers have Houston winning 52 games this year, which, if I'm honest, sounds about right to me. I think if Harden can cede a little bit of his uh, ball handling responsibilities to Westbrook and if Westbrook can reduce some of his more head scratching decisions with the ball, this team could be very, very dangerous. Those are some very big assumptions, though. So, you know, I do not have a clue, to be honest. Um, I think Houston will definitely make some noise in the playoffs. Whether they'll be able to put it together and make it past uh, LA, either of the LA teams, or past Portland or past Denver, oh boy, I don't know. Having just watched Russell Westbrook at his uh, introductory press conference in Houston, He's come out and said a lot of the right things, saying that he doesn't need to touch the ball in order to impact the game and that he's happy to sacrifice and play off the ball in order for Houston to win. Now that's really interesting and I think I think that uh, bodes well for Harden and Westbrook's on-court chemistry. The fact that they are friends and former teammates is a good thing and that is definitely a key difference between Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook in that regard. Westbrook has chosen to come to Houston to um, play with Harden. That said, we'll have to see how it works in practice. I know for everything Westbrook is saying uh, in terms of him not needing to, to touch the ball, he could definitely act as a slasher. But the fact is that unless he's able to recover his shooting touch Um, I just don't see him being used well as an off-the-ball threat The problem is Westbrook is better on the ball than he is off the ball But James Harden is the best player on the ball in the league So, you know, it's a bit of a dilemma for Houston But Westbrook is saying that he wants to make things work So let's see how it goes So those are my takes on two of the biggest trades this year. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Either way, keep the conversation going by following me on Twitter and on Instagram uh, with the handle at Hustle. Until next time, see you later. Mm -hmm.